Well, good morning. So good to be with you today. My name is Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney Free. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms and grandmas. I feel like we've already had such a great worship service here. After those great child dedications, those families did such an exceptional job, and listening to Sarah's reading and great worship service, great worship songs though this morning. Maybe I'll just close in prayer and we'll go home. <laughs> Y'all know better. Well, we're so glad that you chose to join us today. We are back in this message series. Brian did a great job leading us last week as we re-entered into God's story, our story, and this is our journey through the Bible over the course of the years. We look at the grand meta-narrative of God's story and how it relates to our story on a week in and week-out basis, and today, God's story brings us to the Psalms. Real quickly, Bob, before we jump into that, um, maybe since today is Mother's Day, it would be good for us to have a little bit of Mother's Day humor. Would you agree? I have a few uh, little comic book quotes and uh, pictures up here on the screen. A mother is a person with the ability to detect a lie, hear the smallest noises, and see out of the back of their head. Ain't that right, moms? Okay, that's what a mom is. Here, a few others here. Take a look at a couple. Maybe we get a few laughs here this morning. Mom, I can't even imagine how proud you are of me for remembering to send you a Mother's Day card. <laughs> Kids, it's not too late. It's not too late. Get it done. We're making you breakfast for Mother's Day, but we have one question. How do you work this thing, Mom? <laughs> Moms, you ever had one of those? Anyone? Okay. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> Here's Mom. Helping Johnny toward his first day of school, and Johnny helping mom toward his last day of school, and on to college. I know some of us are feeling that way right now as kids are graduating from high school and uh, moving on to the next stage of the journey. And we have Mother's Day specials. <laughs> I'll have you know that is not true in my family. I am so eternally grateful for my lovely mother-in-law. She gets no cactus from me. This is my favorite one. Motherhood Inc. Human Resources. One vacation day a year, that's all I get. We call it Mother's Day, but technically you still have to work. <laughs> Isn't that the truth, right? Well, as Sarah noted already, there's a variety of emotions that are felt on Mother's Day. And I got this lovely prayer last week from... Carnie Free's own Grace Watson, and I'd like to read it and pray through it, if you will, before we open up this morning's message. Gracious Father in heaven, we pray to you this morning for those who celebrate today, having the blessing of a loving mother. Lord, we rejoice with them. For those who mourn today because their mothers have passed away. Lord, we mourn with them. For those who long for a right relationship with their mothers, Lord, hear our prayer. For those who hurt today because they desire children yet have none, Lord, bring comfort. For those who rejoice today because their homes are filled with the laughter of children, Lord, we rejoice with them. For those who celebrate today, Lord, we give you thanks. We choose today to mourn with those who mourn, to rejoice with those who rejoice, 
and to give our full selves to you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, that's a just unscripted note here. It's a beautiful word there in Romans 12. Paul says, mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes we're quick to give answers to questions that we don't actually know the answers to. And for us just to practice that as a biblical community, to mourn with those who mourn, to suffer with those who suffer, to rejoice with those who rejoice, that's perhaps a good word for all of us here on Mother's Day. Well, we do enter in this week in our Bible reading plan. Hopefully you've picked up one of these little green Bible reading plans that takes us through the meta narrative of the Bible. If you don't yet have one of these, you can get out of the information table. And this week we'll have a number of Psalms to read through together. And so we enter into the Psalms this week. Uh, raise your hand if the Psalms are one of your favorite books of the Bible. Okay, many of you. Now let's be real honest in this room. Raise your hand if Psalms are one of your least favorite books of the Bible. Okay, I see a few hands. Yeah. I would have to say yes to both of those. Sorry about that. At times, the Psalms are like amongst my really least favorite books of the Bible. I know a pastor's not supposed to say that, but I'm into being honest. And that's because there are times you read through the Psalms and you see a level of vitriol, a level of bloodthirsty hatred that doesn't seem like it should ever be coming from the tongues of any human being, let alone in the Bible itself. You say, what do you do with some of these lines? And so there are times over my Christian journey that I've kind of avoided the Psalms. But then there are other times that I enter into the Psalms and I see the vengeance that I feel. Can I get an amen? All right? But I don't say. And the regret and the joy and the worship and the sadness and the disappointment and the fear and the entire panoply of human emotions that we see in the Psalms. And I realize there that is a great book of literature because it expresses for me what I oftentimes cannot find words for myself. I love the way the reformer John Calvin put it. He said, the Psalms are an inventory of the human soul. They're unique amongst biblical literature in that they are poetry, which was frequently turned into music. The Psalms became, for the Hebrew people, people their song book. First they were poems, and later on they became songs. And so it is for Christians all over the world today. Most of our songs, both the old hymns and our more contemporary songs, take a verse or two from the Psalms and turn them into music. Now, if I was to teach a church anything about the Psalms, I'd want to teach these two critical ideas. This is not in your notes, but you might take note of these if you're a note-taking kind. The, the Psalms, again, they're different than other kinds of literature in the Bible. There's many different genres in the Bible, and most of the Bible is God's words to humanity. It's God inspiring a human author that human author writing down the thoughts of God through that human author's personality that then can be applied to all of humanity. It's God's words to humanity. But the Psalms are unique in that they are human words to God. Okay? A little bit different than other biblical literature. It's human words to God. 
They're still the Word of God, but they're the Word of God in a different way than the rest of the Bible. They're the Word of God in this way. They confirm to us that your God is big enough to handle any emotion. No matter what fear you might have today, no matter what trial you might have today, no matter what rejoicing you might have today, no matter what pain you have today, God is big enough to handle all of that, and they confirm to us that while, unfortunately, we so often have to pretend with other people, isn't that right? We live in a world that's just so full of pretend, so full of fake, and hopefully we are moving against that in this church. But we live in a world that's full of pretend. The Psalms confirm to us that we need not ever pretend with our God. Isn't that great? I love to know that about our God. And so when you read the Psalms, you get refreshed in realizing, oh, these honest feelings that I have, which I really shouldn't verbalize to anyone else, which my mama told me not to say. Well, David actually writes those down because they're his honest thoughts as are they the honest thoughts of the other psalm writers, and God is big enough to handle them. Now, second, it's important to understand that the vocabulary of poetry, by its very nature, is metaphorical, not literalistic. So again, there's different genres of literature in the Bible, and when you come to poetry, it's not this wooden literalistic reading, it's giving images for us to hold on to. So you come to Psalm 23, which we'll look at here momentarily, and it says, the Lord is my good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Does that mean that God literally has in his right hand a rod, in his left hand a staff? Please say no. Okay. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have a body. Okay. But he's like a shepherd in that he pokes away enemies with a rod, and he comforts us with a staff. It doesn't mean that we actually are sheep. I don't think I see any sheep in the audience today. We're not sheep, but we, we can be like sheep, can't we? Yeah, we can be like sheep. Now, when you think of care, when you think of nurturing, let's have a little bit of audience participation. When you think of care and nurturing, who do you think of? Mothers. There's a softball for you all to hit out of the park. Mothers and grandmothers. That's who we think of. We think of care and nurturing. But mothers and grandmothers need a good shepherd too. So, who provides the nurturing to them? This morning I'd like to suggest for all of us in this room, but particularly for mothers in this room and grandmothers and other care providers in this room, that you have a good shepherd who refreshes the soul, who relieves our fears, and who will reward our trust. We see these three basic truths, these wonderful truths from David's words in Psalm 23 to God, which are related to each of us, and that he uh, refreshes our soul, he relieves our fears, and he rewards our trust. First, our good shepherd is gentle enough to refresh our souls. Your good shepherd is gentle enough to refresh your soul today. This is what David begins with in Psalm 23. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I lack no good thing. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He is my good shepherd and I am his sheep. This is the metaphor that's used here, that, that he's a good shepherd and we're sheep. Now, about, I don't know about you, I'd, I'd rather not be called a sheep. I'd rather be called like a Bengal tiger or a lion or a bear or a falcon or some other NFL predator. I, I want to be tough. I want to be strong. I don't want to be vulnerable. But the truth is, I am like a sheep. I tend to fall in the same pits again and again and again. I tend to fall into the same sin patterns again and again. Is there anyone else in this room? That's what sheep do. They do the same silly, ridiculous thing again and again. And I want to be tough, but the truth is, I'm vulnerable. I'm kind of weak. And I need some encouragement. I need one who is stronger than me to refresh my soul, to lift me up when I fall down, to lead me beside quiet waters. And fortunately, we have a God who created us to be dependent on a good shepherd who will do just that. The Lord is my shepherd. And if he is really your shepherd, then we can say things like, I lack no good thing. Now, you kind of have to work around those words to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because the truth is we all want for many things, right? I mean, it's easy to repeat those words because perhaps you memorize as a child or you heard it at a lot of different funerals, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. But you ask most mothers if they want for something. Moms, can I get a witness? They want for a few things, right? Moms want for a few things, and if they're honest, they'll say they're bone-tired, and what they need is some rest, and what they need is refreshment for the soul. And perhaps what they need even more than that is a pattern of life that would consistently refresh them. They can consistently go back to the Lord and be refreshed by Him. You remember that old movie? Uh, I think it's called The Christmas Story or A Christmas Story back in the 1980s. You got this little eight or nine year old boy who's narrating the Christmas events for the viewer. And there's one scene, Pup, particularly that he's introducing the viewer to all the different members of his family as they're sitting around the dinner table. And he goes one by one through the different members of the family and he gets to mom and mom is scurrying about the kitchen trying to get food for everyone else and they're all uh, stuffing their face with food while she's busy in the kitchen. And so he says, there's my mother. She hasn't had a warm meal for 12 years. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. No, you ask, I mean, most moms want for a warm meal and maybe a little bit more than four hours of uninterrupted sleep and they want a vacation, they want a break. And again, what the Christian life provides for us is a pattern of life. Please don't miss this. The Christian life provides a pattern of life that when lived is better than any other option out there. It provides a pattern of life that when lived across time as a long obedience in the same direction is intended to provide refreshment to your body, your soul, and your spirit. It's intended to do that. 
And we see a little bit of that here in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 makes me uh, think back to Christmas of 2000. My brother and I went uh, on a three-week backpacking trip together in Peru. And uh, he was on a study abroad trip where he was studying for a semester in South America. And I asked him if I could come meet him there over Christmas, and I saved up my pennies to go do so. I was a graduate student at the University of Colorado. I was at one time a proud buffalo. I have since been reformed. <laughs> Do not hold it against me any longer. Okay, so I said to my pennies, well, I went down and I visited my brother in Peru, and we had a, a great few weeks together, but it was tiring. It was really, in many ways, kind of an exhausting few weeks together because my brother and I have very different personalities, and we butted heads on any number of different issues from family issues, childhood issues, politics, religion, all the good ones. And after a number of those kinds of days, we both started to feel tired. We came to Christmas Day, and we both longed to be with my parents celebrating Christmas, and instead we were in a cheap hotel room, 95-degree weather. And we were about the next day to enter into a three-day trek through what's called the Colca Canyon in Peru. And so we put the backpacks on our back, and we started to descend down this canyon wall, which is actually deeper and wider, though far less majestic than our own Grand Canyon. It's desert-like. And we start hiking down the walls, and the relationship started to feel tenser and thicker as we started to feel cramps in our legs. And after about eight hours of hiking together, we began to feel dehydrated, and there was a thick silence that permeated between us when out of nowhere came this beautiful surprise, this cropping of three to four acres of palm trees. In the middle of the palm trees, a pond, and around the pond, these beautiful grassy meadows. It was an oasis, a real live oasis. And so we dove in the water and we swam and we hugged and we laughed and we drank up as much water as we possibly could using our iodine pills, of course. And we were refreshed. We had refreshment to our souls. And what if I told you that that kind of refreshment, not as an everyday experience, but is intended to be part of the pattern of life for us as followers of our good shepherd, that he intends to refresh our distressed souls, that he brings rest and moisture to the dryness and the heat of our trials if we rest in him, that we engage in this pattern where we walk through the desert of life where we serve others, where we go off into work, where we disciple others, where we, we mourn with those who mourn, we give ourselves to those who are hurting, and we come back on a daily basis to the oasis called Christ. We come back on a weekly basis to the oasis called Sabbath. We come back on a consistent basis to do inventory on our souls in which we say, how am I doing with you, God? Am I having my soul refreshed by you? Am I spending enough time with you such that this would even be possible? Am I getting my identity from you or my identity from other people? Am I getting my identity from you or my identity from my issues? Am I valuing you first 
or if I did an inventory of my calendar, would I have to admit that I'm valuing other things first? You see, Christ plus nothing else equals all that we need. Christ plus nothing equals everything if we engage in the patterns of life that Jesus gives us to live. Author Larry Crabb puts it this way, God's position seems to be that we will not properly value the good things of life until we properly value Him first. But when we properly value our Good Shepherd first, then we get into this rhythm where He provides rest and refreshment for our souls. And so we just pause from time to time and we ask, how am I doing with this body, with this temple that God has given me? Am I refreshing it physically? Or am I working my way to the bone? Am I becoming a unit for someone else's wealth? A unit of production for someone else's wealth? Or am I working really hard for five days and then taking a weekend off and maybe even taking a Sabbath day that looks very, very different than the other six days of the week? Am I giving a portion of each day to God as a sacrifice to Him and bringing my trials to Him, bringing the heat of my days to Him, engaging in this rhythm that would provide oasis to the soul. If we do that, I think that we could possibly say, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack no good thing. This is what God desires for us. Second, our good shepherd is strong enough to relieve our fears. Whatever your fears might be today, we have a good shepherd who is strong enough to relieve our fears. I don't know about you, but as I do an inventory of my own soul, I must admit that the, the emotion I dislike the most is the emotion of fear. That there's something in us as humans that we, we just long for freedom, don't we? We long to be freed from the shackles of fear. We certainly feel it and believe in it as Americans, but we long to be freed from the shackles of fear, whatever they might be, in our lives. And fear by its very nature, it feels oppressive. It feels like shackles. It feels like someone is even pushing down on your chest. I think David in this psalm is expressing some of his fears as he's journeying through what he's experiencing in this epic of his life. We talk about Psalm 23 often, we read it frequently at memorials, but we don't often talk about the context of Psalm 23, and, and David's dealing with something that's awful. I mean, he's, there's no question that he's dealing with fears. He, he says, um, you are with me through the valley of the shadow of death, and the reason he says that is because most scholars believe Psalm 23 is written in the context of 2 Samuel 15. We don't have time to go to 2 Samuel 15 right now, but I encourage you to read it later on today. 2 Samuel 15 is this story in which David's son Absalom is attempting to steal his throne. Let me give you the context. David's looking at his legacy years where he is looking forward to spending time with his kids and his grandkids, to sitting back and kind of reflecting on the joy of leading faithfully across decades for Israel. And as he's looking at those legacy years, his son Absalom, who he's always been good to, all of a sudden decides to develop this coup attempt 
to take over David's throne and call it his own. And he develops a conspiracy in which he slanders King David and he brings a whole lot of Israel's allegiance from King David onto himself. And now, days later, the people of Israel are starting to pay homage to Absalom as king as opposed to David as king. And he pens Psalm 23. In 2 Samuel 15, he actually sends the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. So again, he's betrayed, he's been slandered, he's lost the respect of his people. They're now paying homage to his son who is slandering his throne. He's separated from the Ark of the Covenant, which has been in the Old Testament kind of a vehicle for the Spirit of God with the people. And he sends the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, well, where it ultimately belongs, and there he calls on a presence sharper than betrayal, more powerful than any opposing army, and more mysterious than the Ark itself. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even there I will fear no evil, because you are with me. Wow. Separated from the ark. Separated from my people. Separated from my son. Not at church. Not in the synagogue. Not with life group. Even there. You are with me. I don't know what value you might be in today. But whatever value you might be in today, he is strong enough to relieve your fears. He is with you in that valley if you call upon him today. And the promise is he's with you in this way. His rod is strong to poke away those wolves like Absalom nipping at your heel. And he's got this staff that is intended to pull a sheep close to his chest and bring us near to him. God is strong enough to relieve our fears. Elsewhere, another psalm writer, a man named Korah, says this, My tears have been my food day and night. All I do day and night is I cry out to you. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? While people mock me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God because there's no other place to go. He will relieve your fears. Now, we've kind of been taught that it reflects weakness to talk about our fears. Were you taught that way? You don't need to raise your hand. Your mom might be in the room. Your dad might be in the room. We've been taught it reflects weakness to talk about our fears. I would say it reflects strength to talk about your fears. It reflects strength to have two or three other people in community that you can talk to about your fears, and even more than that, a God that you know that you can journal your fears to Him. If you keep your fears in you, they will ruin you. But if you take them out of your mind and out of your heart and you put them on the pages of a journal and you give them to God, He can bring them out of this tangled mess and then He can help you deal with them. That's exactly what David is doing. That's exactly what Korah is doing throughout the Psalms. They're writing down this journaling of their fears frequently to God. 
This is David, a man's man, expressing his fears to God. We want to be like William Wallace. We want to be like Joan of Arc. Your sheep. Your sheep. Say it with me. I'm a sheep. You're not Joan of Arc. You're not William Wallace. You're created to be vulnerable. You're created to be dependent. We're created to be reliant on God. And sometimes he will only relieve our fears. He will not take our fears completely away. And that's actually for our good. Because if he were to take them completely away, then we wouldn't rely on him any longer. But he will relieve the sharp edge of them as we go to him, as we pray the Psalms, as we give our heart's deepest cries to him. Psalm 55, 22 is one of my favorites. It's one that my boys and I have memorized here in this past year. It says, cast your cares upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be forsaken. You take your cares, you take your fears, you take your anxieties, you roll them onto God like a dead bowling ball. Cast them upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be forsaken. One of the greatest ways you, know, you can do that is simply praying the Psalms. When you come to a place where you don't have the words to pray to your God, you simply open the Psalms and you pray the fears that you see from the Psalm writers to God and he will take some of those fears that you are experiencing and he'll begin to give you peace. Your good shepherd is strong enough to relieve your fears. And then finally, I want to tell you this morning, especially for moms, your good shepherd is reliable enough, he is reliable enough to reward your trust. Your good shepherd is reliable enough to reward your trust. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward right now. And as they do, I'm just going to wrap up this message as we look at the final couple lines of this beautiful Psalm 23. And consider this for a moment, that your good shepherd is reliable enough. Whatever you brought in here today, he is reliable enough to reward your trust. Would you do this with me? Would you read the final two verses of Psalm 23 and just consider how reliable our God is to us, both for this life and for all of eternity, as we read these words. Please join me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. You believe that? You believe that? Man, I, I want to say to moms and grandmas here today, your work is hard work. Your work is difficult work. But it's so valuable. It's kingdom work. We live in a world that belittles the work of our mothers and our grandmothers. I'm not sure there's anything that I do that's as important as what my wife does for my boys. 
what you do that nobody else recognizes in those unseen moments may your God give you grace may your God give you strength when your kids are not faithful may your God give you hope when your kids are not thankful may you remember David's boy wasn't too faithful. You got nothing on him, trust me. You got nothing on him. At times when your kids aren't faithful, at times when your kids aren't thankful, may you remember the story, the backstory of Psalm 23. It's written in the context of a king's son's betrayal. And wherever you are today, for moms, for dads, for men and women, for all of us, Surely God's love, His goodness, His kindness will follow you all the days of your life. Not some of the days, all the days. He's good enough. You can count on Him. He's reliable. Do you trust in Him? It won't be His anger, His wrath, or His justice that follow you all the days of your life. It'll be his goodness and his love that follow you all the days of your life. He's good enough. You can count on him. He's reliable. Do you trust him? And then after you die, after our very short sojourn here on this earth, be it 50 years or 70 years or 100 years, it'll be a short sojourn here on earth. After you die, surely you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's good enough. He's strong enough. He's reliable enough. You can count on him. The question is, do you trust in him? May your good shepherd anoint your head with the oil of gladness. May your good shepherd Make your cup 